This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's like building a house, but you focus on interior design before you uh, focus on the foundation and then the structure of the building itself it's like you're just decorating a pile of garbage you you can't you, you can't you have to learn it from the start i make a point to interview creatives in the tabletop industry from across the globe clara is an illustrator from southeast asia she is young but her art shows us all how many hours of work she's put into her craft when discussing the creative process who we are is as important as what we make. The environment and culture around us will always be part of our work. Now, her insights on mastering the basics will resonate regardless of the type of creative work you do. She explains how she goes from text keywords given to her by a client to a fully finished illustration. Stick around to the end when we discuss what AI art means for illustrators going forward, as well as the ethics of AI art. Now, patrons supporting this show on Patreon allow me to deliver insightful interviews like this. Join the most recent supporters. Taylor Lindbergh, Justin Kearns, Maxime Ritteray, Armini Bat, Troy Banks, Kevin Greenlee, and Michael S. Miller. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Clara. My name is Anthony Boyd, but you might know me better as Runeslinger. When I'm not working on my own sporadic RPG podcasting and video projects, I listen to Tabletop Talk for its far more regular deep dives into the brains of top designers in the role-playing game and wargaming spaces. I enjoy it a lot, and I think you will too. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today I'm talking with illustrator and concept artist, Clara Efferin. She has been an artist for most of her life, illustrating pieces like characters, environments, and cover art for various media. She recently transitioned from working as a full-time concept artist in the animation industry to a full-time freelancer. Currently, she does art for the RPG and tabletop industry, providing clients with well-drawn fantasy art. And you've got to see this art. There's links. We cross paths because she does RPG-related commissions. So, Clara, welcome to the third floor. Thank you, Craig, for the introduction. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> Such a wonderful time to be here because if you think about it, like 20 years ago, how is it possible that you're doing an interview? I'm halfway across the globe. <laughs> Currently, I'm in Indonesia. Craig is in America. We're 12 hours apart. I'm basically in the future. Can I tell you... <laughs> in the future maybe something happens in the future hmm. yeah wow. so the but we're going to do that during one of the breaks she's going to tell me the u.s lottery numbers that she's got in the paper so that uh this will be, be this will be the last episode of tabletop talk yeah definitely <laughs> you're going to win like 12 million <laughs> yeah you're going to win 12 million dollars because i'm in the future and i know everything <laughs> It, it's very funny, uh, Claire, because, you know, it's amazing how we take this for granted because you're 100 percent right. I mean, uh, we're, we're talking, you know, face to face virtually. Right. I, I see you. You see me. 
Um, the uh, service that I use records this locally, which allows me to get really good sound quality on your side and my side. And then, you know, with a couple clicks of a buttons and a couple hours, I'll edit this up and it's, you know, we just take it for granted and uh, we shouldn't um, at all. Normally what I do um, cause a lot of times, you know, the creatives that I have on here are, are game designers. So yeah. a lot of times I'll ask them, you know, how did you first find gaming? But this is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, I am a terrible artist. Okay. I love to art. So I love to paint, uh, draw, always have my entire life. And I would assume the same was for you, right? As a kid, you start drawing and sketching and things like that, but your path is different. So I want to start off maybe going back in time. When did you and at what age did you realize like this is more than something that I just, you know, goof around with that you started to say, this is something I have a passion for? How old were you? I think the the first time that I saw that I was more inclined towards the arts that rather than uh, my other interests is probably high school. So I'm a pretty curious person in general. I had a lot of interest when I was quite young. So uh, I had a lot of interest in science. I was part of a science club. I had a lot of interest in badminton. I joined a badminton club. I was in a band for four years. I played the electric guitar. I was serious. People thought that I was going to go to music school after high school. But apparently I liked art more because how do you say it? It's like you know that you're more talented in it. You just learn art faster than your other interests. And you know yeah. that you got that flow inside of you. In music, I mean, I need the tutor 100% of the time telling me which keys to press and how to do it. Meanwhile, in art, I can analyze it much better. And after that, I realized that, oh, maybe this is my thing. And there's actually a story regarding me realizing that there's a demand for art that I really like. I thought that the things that I liked that didn't have any place in this world, that it's such a different place in Indonesia than in maybe developed countries. We're still in the developing stage, even though it's on the higher spectrum of the developing yeah. stage, which is a good thing. The future is looking bright for my country and also the industry that I'm working in. So let's say 10, 15 years ago, that's not a really long time. My parents saw that Art was a dead end thing. Like <laughs> literally, it's it's true because there's a lot of uh, you know, not exactly stereotypes. Is it really a stereotype if it's true? <laughs> it's yeah, a, exactly. I mean, if if there there are really starving artists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the industry is still growing. Like these animation studios are still so small. A lot of yeah. them just start and go bankrupt so fast. And it's, it's just a real thing back then. People had a hard time finding work. But the more developed a country is, the more the demand for art and marketing and basically things that accompany small and growing businesses. Because small and growing businesses is a sign of a good, good and solid economy that's going up, right? So 10, 15 years ago, they said that you should find something that's more sturdy. I mean, they're not wrong. They've been through a lot of terrible things. My parents have gone through a lot of political instability in my country. My grandparents still remember the war. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's 
pretty crazy if you think about it. I've never yeah. gone through anything crazy myself my whole life. I like my life is pretty chill. <laughs> like <laughs> even though I grew up in a developing country, but my parents and my grandparents worked hard for me to not uh, experience those terrible things. And I've got a really good education because of their hard work. So yeah, it, it wasn't a thing back then, you know, and. I considered the other other industries like I'm pretty good in debate, so uh, I considered law. But I said, "Why am I doing this?" So I tried following my heart, and yeah, basically it started in high school, like realizing there was a demand for this. And I actually went to a educational trip to Singapore. So for people who don't know, uh, you know, geography and Southeast Asia, uh, Indonesia is right next to Singapore. It's like one hour flight from Surabaya where I live. Uh, in this educational trip, we went to a place where they teach a course for people who want to be concept artists and 3D artists. And then I realized that there's a huge demand in the gaming and animation industry for the things that I, I do. So, uh, back then, like in junior high, I was just someone who didn't have a, you know, goal in life basically. And I just gamed all day. I played so much. Like I, I looking back, it's like, Oh my God, I'm so lazy. Like super lazy compared to my parents. It's freaking lazy. You, it turns out you were just doing research for your career. You didn't know it then though. I mean, you could say it that way, but I was genuinely lazy, lazy to the point that I'll tell you a story and you'd be really surprised. So I'm pretty good at math to the point that I know if I do a test, uh, if I don't do the last question, I'd still get an 85 because the last question is worth 15 points and I'm too lazy to count and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I submitted it to the teacher and the teacher asked, why didn't you fill the last one? I said I was too lazy. And she was like, that's funny. I, considering how diligent I am compared to right. what I was back then, it's like, uh, I'm quite proud of who I turned out to be. And I realized that I was strong. It's not about the results, but the effort that you put, like, you, you may get an 85 out of a hundred, but you're wasting your potential. You know, you got so, right. you got that 15 points more until you hit your ceiling. Why didn't you do it? You know? <laughs> well, let's, I want to stop for just a second here. I want to talk about you in high school. So, you know, you have interests, you're playing the guitar in a band, you're enjoying, you know, you know, the visual arts and drawing and things like that. You're also good in science, you're good in math, but you find yourself in a situation where, you know, not only do you feel gravitated towards the art part, but it sounds like this trip to Singapore was really um, like mind blowing for yeah. you. And the fact that you're like, wow, I could like feed myself. It's like with an this. epiphany point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What I would be interested to know though, is where, how much does all of the time you spent with science and the, and the love of math and the, and the ability to excel in math and the time you spent studying and performing music, what, has that become part of your process at all in the art? So do we see all of those things in your art? Huh. That's actually a very interesting question. Just a clarification. I don't like math. 
Okay. I just <laughs> You're just it. good at it. <laughs> yeah, I was just okay at it. I mean, I I know okay. I know friends who compete on a national level. Like compared to me, I'm I'm like a little little grasshopper, little green. But you understand you understand math, right? Yeah, I mean, Which like, not everybody it, does. Yeah, good enough to you know score good like, I don't have a passion for it. Some people really okay. love it. One of my friends said, "I would like to marry my math textbook." Once, one time and I was like, oh yeah, I know what kind of person you are. <laughs> it's a little much. Yeah. So. So mu- music, music science, playing the guitar and, you know, and all of that. Do you find, were there things that skills or techniques or a process that you picked up in those other ways of expressing yourself that you think is part of how you express yourself on the page? Okay. So I think I found something that's interesting. So. They may not, uh, how do you say, contribute to the process directly, but as an amateur of all those interests, after I've grown more mature, when I look back, they taught me a lot of things because I failed a lot in <laughs> in those other interests. Oh, wow. Yeah, so through through the failure, I saw like, oh, I actually did this back in you know playing the guitar, and I keep repeating the same mistakes. So. Let me give you an example, a solid, non-abstract example. So uh, when I play the guitar, I tend to look at tricks too much. So it's like, oh, what what tricks do this guitarist use? I skip the fundamentals so hard. Right. Yeah. So when you're learning an instrument, yeah, any instrument, you need to learn the fundamentals to re mi fa sol la si do, and then you need to learn tempo. I suck that tempo. I am the worst <laughs> in my band. I will every time they listen like some someone's rushing here, and they look at me like you're doing it right. And you know what? I'm glad I did not learn the drums because I'll be a terrible drummer. <laughs> I just in a rush all the time, and the beats wouldn't be the sure. same. Yeah. So when I look back, you know. Uh, especially, uh, I had a second or third epiphany point where I realized that I need to relearn my fundamentals. So I've been doing art a long time, yeah. But I think 2020 was a point because there's COVID and all, and I'm at home, yeah. Yeah. I just graduated, and I felt that I could improve myself compared to a lot of people who graduated in other universities. I saw that my work was still lacking in terms of skill. My university was super strong in theory, not so strong in practice. So I had to, you know, balance it out between my theory and practice. And when I learned uh, those art fundamentals, so like basic anatomy, basic drawing skills. And then I realized why I kind of capped at my music skills. Like I had a hard time going through that uh, ceiling, you could say, yeah. I realized, oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. I focus too much on equipment. I focus too much on this unimportant uh, trails or tricks. You know, it's like building a house, but you focus on interior design before you uh, focus on the foundation and then the structure of the building itself. It's like you're just decorating a pile of garbage. You you can't you can't you have to learn it from the start and. Realizing that I have so much to to learn, it actually makes me so excited. Like, yeah. it 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 spark re sparked my joy for art again because oh, that's sometimes cool. I 
put too much pressure and compare myself with other people. And I had such a hard time separating myself with my artwork. So I think a lot yeah. of young artists do this, yeah. When they post their work on social media and they don't get a lot of likes, they think their art is terrible. Therefore, they think they are terrible because they think that yeah. the art and themselves are one, even though they are two separate entities. And if you it can want be hard to, to separate yeah, it. Absolutely, because art is an expression. Even if you're doing it professionally, it's still an expression in a way, yeah. It's so personal. Yeah. So uh, at the start, I can understand why a lot of young artists still starting out, they, st- they feel very bad for, you know, posting and unintentionally maybe uh, comparing themselves to people who have been doing it for such a long time. Like you're comparing someone who's been in an industry for five plus years. It's kind of like fair, unfair. You guys are in the same platform, but not really, you know, you're not in the same pond, even though you're in the same pond. It's weird. That's why I deleted my Instagram. <laughs> I never came back. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, it's um, it, it's very true. Like uh, for a period of time, I was very much into painting uh, wargaming miniatures, uh, not as much anymore. But uh, and I would, you know, post what I painted up on social media and stuff like that. And it's an, it's a really easy trap to fall into. You get obsessed with comments and how many likes did mine get to somebody else's and it, it, it warps your brain and it warps your perception and you find yourself doing it for those reasons, as opposed to doing it because you love it and doing it because you're trying to improve yourself. But I want to go back to this concept of fundamentals because I think it's, it's interesting. So you're, you're, you're an artist, you're drawing, you're, you're pushing yourself, you're self-taught in a lot of ways. And then you realize, you know, wait a second, I skipped some steps, right? I, I, I need to go back and I need to almost start again. So what was that like when you went from drawing faces and hands to drawing circles, circles again? And boxes. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's what like, was that like? So the first impression, definitely. I'm too good for this. Uh, it's always right. like that. Is when you're still, how do you say this? You're still amateurish. You're not yep. really there yet. You still have that large ego that you have to go through, right? And that's the first impression. Like, I'm too good for this. Uh, but deep down inside, I feel that I need to do this, you know, despite yep. that early feeling. And then in the middle, you kind of realize, oh, this is actually kind of enjoyable. And then you finish your work and then uh, time skip in the future, you do your work and then you realize, oh my God, that thing that I, I did the exercise for, it's actually useful. And you realize it after, like you're not going to realize it after you finish a page of boxes. You're going to realize it when you draw your faces and you, you are more, you are more aware of the perspective. You're more aware that your features are in a structure and it's a solid scientific structure. It's not going to, you know, the eyes are not going to go here and uh, like all over the place. It's not a flat. I mean, it is a flat image, but as artists, we have to make the, this flat image convincing as a real thing. You know, it may be flat, but it has formed the illusion of form. You finished school. Um, you've gone through your fundamentals. You're, you're now, um, 
drawing differently, I would assume. I mean, going, I mean, that's in, in, you know, being a terrible artist myself, I understand that because I did the same thing as a kid, uh, you know, where I was, I went from copy, I, I basically jumped right to copying what I saw in my comic books, not understanding the perspective on it. And yeah, absolutely. It's like, uh, I have a metaphor for it. It's not a metaphor. It's like a sample. Yeah. If I ask an amateur to paint the Mona Lisa a thousand times, they won't learn how to paint, even though they're copying a masterwork. So yep. I don't think you're a terrible artist. You're just an artist who gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that everyone, yeah, with the learning attitude and also a mentor is an understated yeah. tip that you still need a mentor to guide you or you can like bounce questions. Sometimes like if you're still an amateur or beginner, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know if what you know is right or wrong. Yeah. What you say is so true, which is, you know, it, you know, so, so many times and um, you and I talked about this uh, offline a little bit and I, and I'm a big proponent of this uh, artists, writers, creators, um, you know, so often they're said, you know, you all, oh, you're, you're so, you, you're so talented. Right. And to your point, no, I just kept going. Right. And so you, maybe you have a proclivity for it. Maybe you have, you know, you're an inclination towards it, but it, it, it comes down to putting in the work, which you resetting and going back and doing those fundamentals showed that, you know, you you're putting in the work and for it to influence and impact you and your ability to create art now, I think is, is very, very profound. But what I, what I'm wondering is when did you start making money, right? And pr probably wasn't a lot at the beginning, but yeah. <laughs> did you start, get, did you get hired first or were you doing small things? Um, how did you start transitioning from amateur to pro professional by definition, making money off of it? So uh, I think that this is true for most artists, uh, especially freelancers. So I have two paths of my career. I actually had a full-time job that I recently resigned. So I'm now a full-time freelancer. Uh, most of my friends went to a studio, so they had full-time jobs. I had freelancing jobs at first. They were small and they were friends, basically. So it was word of mouth. So like, oh, you, you need art for like your music project or something. Oh yeah, I can draw this and, and I'll give you a, you know, college level pricing. So it's like not really priced for if you're going to do full-time freelancing. So I think it started about in... Uh, university yeah. and basically yeah it went from there and I did not go full-time freelancing after I graduated I still had to find a full-time job because yep. to go full-time as a freelancer you need this transition period that you need the ball going and the clients are coming in and when you count your expenses and such and such you can resign from your job and basically at the time is you're working two jobs, but right. I actually enjoy it. <laughs> so I know that um, if I do this, I can basically, you know, resign. <laughs> when when did you move into animation? When did you find yourself doing concept art for animation? When did that first begin? Uh, I think about uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, I went to an animation studio and basically I did concept art for them. And it was a... It was a studio that mainly does children's animation and preteens, I guess, so 8 to 12. So uh -huh. I did a lot of 
concept art for mostly the environment, but also the characters, like the enemies and the whatnot. So uh, maybe a bit about concept art for people who don't know about Please. concept art. Yeah. <laughs> so a the pipeline for animation is quite long, like uh, the pipeline for uh, making games. At the start of the pipeline, you have the pre-production. At the center, you have the production. And the last part, you have the post-production. So concept art is just after script writing. So Got it. yeah, the first step is you, the people make ideas, right? That the ideas are still abstract. They're just words on a paper. Let's say you're making a, uh, a story about a car and a boy who inherited that car from his deceased father. So that's the story, right? So as a concept artist, you have to design what does this boy look like? Who was his father and what does he do? What does he look like? You have to design the car and you basically have to make the visual viable of everything. So what you draw right. will be used for the people who are in the production phase. So the people who are making the 3D models or the people who are animating it, the people who are animating still use the concept art. So the way a character poses tells about their personality. So let's say this yeah. boy is cocky and he, he stands like he's so proud of himself, even though he's like 12 or something like get a real <laughs> job, kid. You, you don't know anything. <laughs> so. The animators will look at the concept art. Oh, yeah, this is a cocky kid. Yeah. So he's going to walk with the sort of swag and he, like, he knows, uh, everything, even though he doesn't. And yeah, that concept art will be used. And some concept art is also used until the post production phase. So when you're editing right. a, a scene, let's say he is really sad because his father just passed away. Yeah. So you're not going to use bright colors. Like, oh yeah, your father died and you get a car. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Like, you're going to use a certain kind of lighting. Maybe it's a moonlight. He's very sad and he's like contemplating and looking at the car in like a moonlight setting. Yeah. So yeah, it's really fun making, thinking about these things because you, there's a lot of problem solving and there's a lot of designing involved. And I want to dig into that a little bit if we can. So th there's a jump that happens that I find very interesting, which is you have just the written word. Yes. And you're said, hey, you know, we, we need some concept art for this boy. You're staring at a blank page or a blank screen. And can you give me a sense of and we can use a specific if you want, whatever's easier. I want to get a sense of how that starts for you. And, 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 and I'm talking about the stages that nobody ever sees that okay. only you see, right? You never turn this stuff in what, what, when you're staring at that blank page with just written words, what is your first step? Okay. So the first step is actually, uh, you make your own mind map regarding the things that you need to design. Let's say we're taking the car. I actually have a toy car right here. Haha. <laughs> Ta-da. It's a, do you know cars? Are you a petrol head? <laughs> Oh, no, no, oh, no, okay. no, no, <laughs> It's a Audi Quattro used by one of my favorite <laughs> people ever, Michel Mouton. So anyways, uh, this car is a rally car. It's white. It has four-wheel drive, whatnot. It's very rugged and scary. And these keywords, we actually write down. Even though we have a script, we still make a yep. mind map and we write these 
characteristics down. Let's say the design mm. language of this car is very boxy, even though it's very fast and agile. Like fast and agile, you think triangle, right? It's like a right. Imagine a Corvette. You're American, right? Corvette, yes. Fiery, you know, triangular headlights, right? So this car is super fast, but it's so boxy, you know. So you write those keywords in and interesting. You circle like what's related with each other and then you find the major keywords. Like you've written like 20 words, right? You find the ones that encapsulates the essence of what this car is. Mm-hmm. And then using those keywords that you've distilled from those 20 other words, you find references online. That's what references uh, are for. So you find something of a similar media uh, and you compile it. You're not copying if you have 20 different references. So there's a word that uh, good artists uh, copy, great artists steal. Yeah. So it's not about stealing like you're... you're really stealing for real, but you're taking so many references, you're actually making something original. So what if like, oh, I took the design language from this movie, I like the car from this game, and you put it all in a mood board. So it's called a mood board. You put it in one place, and then you start seeing things together. Now that's where the magic happens. Right. Uh, So yeah, basically, uh, and then, that's how you start sketching that you don't start making the final product, of course. Right. But at least you have a art direction. That's the important basis. And a lot of people, including myself, I, I, I often skip the keyword phase and, you know, <laughs> reference stages yeah. when I earlier in my career. Yeah. And yeah, basically, uh, people, put too much effort in the polishing stage, but the earlier stage of conceptualizing the idea is the most important, I think. Because if you mess up that part, you're going to redo everything and suddenly it's just going to be a terrible time for everyone. So yeah, that's basically it. Well, and that parallels your process of learning, right? Where you discover that I need to understand the fundamentals. And even in your process of creating today goes back to the fundamentals. So I want to take us to where you have these keywords, those keywords, you've, you've identified the major ones, you've gone and gotten some references. Now, what I imagine happens next is you start the sketching process. And if I think of the sketching process as, as a tree. You start down one path, you throw that away. You start down one path, you throw that away. But at some point you start down a path and you keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you know when to stop with something and go with the other one? How do you pick out that as you're going through the sketching process? What makes you keep going? Can you repeat that? Sorry. I, I didn't get that. Can you repeat that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when you're in the sketching process, I would imagine, and, t- and tell me if I'm wrong, you sketch something out and you're like, no, 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 that's not it. I sketch something out and you go, no, 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 that's not it. But at some point you start sketching and go, ah, I'm on to something. And it goes beyond oh, sketching, okay, right? We go to that next phase in the process. Yes, and yes. I want to understand when do you know to keep going and, and go beyond just the sketching and stop throwing things away and start chasing that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in a studio, that's what your supervisor is for. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, if you got something right, yeah, your supervisor knows better than you are. You can ask your friends who are next to you, like, do you think this car 
represents the essence because um, if your design does not communicate visually, then you have failed basically because right. uh, our the the thing that I do have no words. You have to look at it and you know what you're looking at. If you're looking at an evil character that's manipulating and devious, you have to look at a character that's evil and, you know, devious, basically. You want to look at a, a steadfast and honorable character. You have to, you have to feel it, you know, you just know. And a lot of that, uh, there's a lot of theory beyond that, like a lot of semiotics. How do you explain semiotics? It's like the, the science of people and symbols. Yeah. Like, let's say if I give the color red, red can be a lot of things. Uh, we can say red is the color of danger because we as humans, we see red as blood and it yep. usually represents, you know, a cheetah is chasing us or something like back then in the past. Or red could be passion, it could be love or something. And it really depends on the context. And you learning how to use these symbols into your art is yeah, it's something that you have to learn uh, step by step, basically. And yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, that's the part in the industry. But if you're freelancing, you're like right. alone, right? You're, you're, who you're going to ask, you know? Uh, that's where asking the client, uh, you have to be brave. So a lot of people who are freelancing, they try to keep, the communication with the client as minimum as possible because they fear revisions. I think that freelancers shouldn't fear it. They should just accept it as a fact. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and price it mm, in, right? Yeah. And you, you consider the revision, of course. Don't be too strict, but, you know, just accept it if there is revisions. Uh, this is why I think there is a solution to keep this at the minimum then misunderstanding between clients and especially my clients are international. English isn't my first language. There may be misunderstandings yeah. regarding certain phrases or words that I don't understand. Uh, you have to ask the client as detailed as possible before you start. I think that's the best solution because sometimes when we ask the client, yeah, Oh, what do you want me to do? They say something really vague, like, I would like a really terrifying dog creature for my video game. Like, oh, dog creature? What's dog creature? You mean like four legs? Yeah. What does the face look like? Can you give me references? Like, what do you want to go for? So, it's fine. I think the client really likes when you engage with them. It, it yeah. makes them feel involved. And it's a really uh, top tip for any freelancer. Don't fear interacting with the Client, they actually feel like they're welcome. Some of my clients say that some artists are so cold, like, you know, like talking to a computer, like a yes or no, or uh, yep. I actually uh, ask them so many questions. I involve them so much and it has kept the misunderstanding to a minimum. There is still a misunderstanding, but it's fine. It's not like fatal. Like I have to read through everything <laughs> because I, I don't know what this means or yeah, basically like that. So when you're interacting with a client, there has to be, there has to be a little bit of training that you have to do, I would think, because you have to teach them how to explain to you what they're thinking there, because 
you look at art differently than someone who doesn't do art. That's just the, in the same way that, you know, Jimi Hendrix looks at the guitar different than somebody who's ever played guitar before. Right. And, and but you guys have to communicate like so the the client has something in their head. Right. Yeah, like, something. It's something that <laughs> exactly. You're going to put two things in front of them and one they're going to like and one they're not going to like. Not because one is better than the others, because one is closer to that thing in their head that they and, and how do you extract that out of the client's head? How do you get them to to explain to you in a way that you can then go and run with it? How do you train them and what techniques do you use? So if I was your client. Give me a sense of how do you how do you pull that out of my head? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you're fake, like the dog example, yeah, I'll ask you several questions that are uh, basically relevant to this dog's design. So it's not exactly trained, but more like you know asking the right questions. You know, right? Like this dog in this world is this dog com- a common dog? Like, or is it like, uh, how do you say it? It's a bigger kind of enemy. Like in video games, there are levels to, you know, enemies, right? Yeah. You have to imagine this dog in the world they have, right? It's not just a regular dog, right? They have a world, right? That they live inside. And you have to consider the relation of the dog to the other, other subjects inside of the world, inside yeah. of their environment. Like, is it? a dog that lives on the street or is it like a high tech dog that only lives in like really clean places. And then, you know, you have to know the right questions first. And if it's un- still unclear, maybe ask them for reference images. Like, yeah, <clears throat> they probably saw a similar thing in another, another, you know, uh, series movie or whatever, let's say, this person took the references from the old Resident Evil games where the dog yeah. disappears out of the windows, scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> okay, so, you know, like, I want that dog. So, okay, so right. it's a zombie dog that's really fast and rapid and terrifying for the players, but still kind of like low level, right? It's not a big, like said, if you play the Resident Evil, there's the lickers, right? They're still uh, kind of huge than the dogs. So, you're not designing something that's that looks like it could be a boss because uh, my time at the animation industry, you consider the level in quotation yeah, in the level of the enemy. So if it's a boss, it has to look fancy. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a you know you're looking at the boss, but you know yeah, you're looking at the common sock that's like normal or something. You know yeah. So. Ask the right questions. If you're still unclear, ask again. Don't be so shy, you know, like, oh, I've already asked too many questions. Like, a lot of people are too shy with clients, but it's for their own good too. And they like, you know, explaining their, their vision basically. And when we get it right, it's just so satisfying for both parties. You know, I'm happy that they're happy and they're happy that, how did you do that? Like, yeah. I imagined this thing and you made it happen. And, it's amazing. You know what? Yeah, that's that's a really great thing. There's the really fun parts of doing commission work, which is really part of what we talked about, right? That excitement of going, you know, I I I, I, I translated what they couldn't do into something that that meets what they met. And you know, if you're like me, there's times where sometimes I will see art 
you know, I'll, I'll describe art to somebody and they'll draw it and I'll go, this isn't what I was thinking, but this is better. Right. And, and that, and that's fun and that, and that's exciting, but there, there's also, there's also gotta be stuff that sucks. And I want to get a sense of that. So as, as somebody who's doing commission art, what, what, what's not fun? So uh, I think a lot of unfun things happened when I did freelancing uh, a couple of years ago. So the first jobs, I did not know that I had to have a like down payment system or a safety uh. net basically for myself. Yeah. And I didn't get swindled. It's just that I didn't pay me for a long time. And I was like broke AF and yeah. <laughs> and it was frustrating because I know that person and uh, basically uh, you get terrible clients, but you can avoid them yep. with basically down payment system. So I asked a lot of my, uh, a lot of my seniors in the animation studio, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you uh, keep away from this terrible, you know, I'm not going to say terrible clients. They're just terrible people in general. I hate right. them. And, yep. so, and they just happen uh, to be clients too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just happen to need art right now. So yep. uh, you have to be able to identify the characteristics of these terrible clients. So oftentimes they wouldn't want a down payment system and they tend to lowball you on your price. So that's already like two red flags. So yep. Uh, my senior said that if you already have a down, system, down payment system and they agree, uh, uh, 99.99%, they're a good client because they are already yeah. willing to pay you uh, upfront, right? Now, uh, <clears throat> yeah, basically it's like that, you know, uh, <laughs> they always want to pay less and pay later. As that, yeah. That's the basically the characteristics of uh, terrible clients. So now you've, it sounds like now through experience and through advice from your seniors that you've been able to see them coming, right? And being able, you know, to identify when it's happening. I want to talk a little bit about the transition that you've gone through. So you, you were focused mostly on concept art in animation, and now you're finding yourself doing more with, uh, um, tabletop gaming, which is, which is, uh, it, it's very different. And I guess the first question I have for you, did you head there or were you brought in, right? So how, where, how did this transition happen? Did you find yourself getting more commissions for tabletop gaming or did you seek it out? No, I seek it out. So uh, basically I, uh, uh, I, saw, I saw opportunity in it. So tabletop gaming, a lot of the art stuff that is used, it's just regular illustration. It's just used in an interesting way. And I got yep. inspired watching people playing tabletop games. I, I never knew that they could have such high production value, yeah. you know, tabletop uh, role plays. Like I imagined like everyone, everyone in the world sees like these geeks, like, oh, they're just in the geeks in the basement, like doing something, they're thinking they're wizards or something, you know, like, yeah. and apparently it could be so much more than that. I was so yeah. wrong. I definitely, I had a misconception about it. So. I think the first first high production tabletop that I followed and watched was from Geek and Sundry, I think. So it's the series We're Alive Frontier. <clears throat> I forgot who who game mastered it. He, uh, he made it so cool and so interesting. So <clears throat> that series is basically uh, a series about 
post-apocalyptic and you know the themes that I like in games, <laughs> but it's narrated and they're playing that their roles so convincingly and but it's yeah. still casual. Like sometimes they break character and it's fine, you know, it's chill. But when they're serious, they're so serious. Like whenever there's a story beat, there's an illustration that goes and it just explains everything. And I saw that like, hmm, money, <laughs> opportunity, <laughs> yes. And, yeah. You know, basically I saw that and I felt inspired because I really like doing fictional art and you know, I imagined myself doing work like that. And so I uh, sought it out, basically. So if a, let's imagine two clients. One client says, Clara, I want you to sit down with me and I want you to make some concept art for a you know computer animated game that I'm, I'm putting together. Another client comes to you and says, hey, I've got this role playing game and I would love love to have you do some art to put in the role playing game book. How different are those two commissions for you? Is there a huge overlap as far as how you approach it and how you do it? Or are they truly completely different animals for you? No, it's the same. (laughs) (laughs) Because the the, the ideation process is the same. So you put in keywords and you find references, but the final product is different. So in concept art, concept art is not the final product that the client wants to sell. So if I'm making, let's give uh, an example yeah. I'm making concept art for Blizzard's new game, let's say Overwatch 5, and it's in the future. (laughs) So the concept art that I make is not what Blizzard is selling. Blizzard is still selling Overwatch 5, but illustration, illustration is the final product. So I sell this art done, and that's the product, yeah. So that's the major difference. And concept art needs to be explanatory in, in its nature. So illustration needs to be pretty and it does explain sorry like, oh, this wizard is shooting a lightning bolt to his dragon, this dragon is dying or something. But this concept art really needs to be specific and you may have to sacrifice like oh, this really cool dynamic pose and you have to do it a more regular pose because yeah. it just explains the design more. You can see like, oh, the clothes of this wizard, you can see the patterns. And you need to explain the pattern too. You need to draw it in a separate place and you need to draw the wizard front and back and basically ready to be made into game assets or animation assets. Yeah. So there's two two last things I want to talk about real quick. Uh, The first thing is um, AI art, which, um, you know, is a very hot topic. Um, you know, we talk about the, and what made me think of this was your comment about, you know, good artists, uh, copy, great artists steal. Um, mm, and but what about computer l- stealing? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, um, and I use, uh, I mean, I use mid journey for my thumbnails on my YouTube videos. If you go look at my YouTube videos now for the past eight months or so, I've been using mid journey to help me produce evocative images to, for my thumbnails on my videos. So people will click on them. Right. Um, what, I guess, first off, you know, I hear two different things coming from professional artists. I've heard some professional artists say, look, you know, yeah, this is going to keep getting better. Um, but a computer can never do what I do. So I will, I will always have a place. I will always have work because no matter how good this, you know, this AI art gets, I'm going to always have an edge. But there's other artists that I've heard talk that's that are are they see it as stealing. They see it as unethical. 
and they see it as a direct threat to what they do. And I'd be curious because I've yet to talk to an artist about this. Um, what are your feelings about AI art? Complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's like being in a relationship. Yeah. So there is a lot of things that you just said. Let's unpack it uh, one by one. So uh, please. You said the, the first point was uh, the artist will always have an edge towards AI art, right? I think that's a bit untrue. A real artist is going to have an edge over an AI artist because okay. we know the fundamentals. We know how right. to manipulate any kind of tools. Let me give you an example. Like uh, if an AI artist just types in things and they feel they have encapsulated the feeling like let's say you use Midjourney to make us evocative image. But what sort of evocative image? My experience and my uh, skills in, you know, you could say non-AI art will basically give me an edge. And once I learn how to use AI, AI artists will just, will just disappear. Because let's be honest, it's just another tool. It's like right. when photography was invented, <laughs> painters didn't go away. Painters, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, it became less and less because they didn't need to commission painters to, you know, take basically photograph, regular photographs, but it didn't make them extinct. Like right. people, uh, people, including myself, yeah, we worry that, oh, AI artists gonna just replace everyone. But once we learn how to, you know, use it, we're gonna be the ones uh, in the advantage, not those AI <laughs> artists. Like, <clears throat> we can't stop technology. It's just a fact, you know? Like when Photoshop became a thing and then Photoshop is used for digital art, basically, it's just another tool. But I think that yeah. people who learn traditional art will still have an advantage to people who only learn digital art because of their fundamentals. I'm not saying digital artists do no fundamentals. I'm technically a digital artist too. So I'm slandering yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. That's that's the thing, and never stop learning. Yeah. So for artists who have anxiety, yeah, because I did have existential dread from learning about AI art. Like, damn, this is actually like pretty convincing. And I saw yeah. like a computer made this. A guy typed in some words and tara, then twenty hour work in just like five seconds. Impossible. Right. It's pretty crazy, you know. Probably the people who saw photography the first time, yeah, they saw like, oh my god, instant painting, yeah. and they were like, oh my god, crazy, right? I, I, you know, I have never heard that analogy before, and I think it's a very powerful analogy, um, and it really helps, I think, uh, couch that. What about the ethics of it, though? So when people yeah. say it's unethical, um, do you do you have thoughts on that? I do have thoughts, but first of all, it's just an opinion and I haven't thought sure. about it thoroughly. And I haven't watched a lot of, you know, AI art discussions. And especially from, there are a lot of artists who say that this AI artist took images from their work and then put it in the algorithm and said, this is their work. That's basically like stealing, but not stealing. It's so weird because it's such a new thing and it's new technologies. Yeah. There aren't any laws made for these kind of things yet. <clears throat> but I feel that if AI artists are gonna, you know, outsource their, you know, stuff for their algorithm, 
should be should they be able to you know copyright their work mm-hmm. you know it's like if if you took a uh, work from an artist and then you make it and then are you allowed to sell it or is right. it just open source basically you know like you can imagine right it's open source because a, someone typed in into a software but it's in i don't know I really don't know. Well, and that's fair. I mean, it's fair to say, look, Craig, I, you know, I'm still figuring this out. I mean, I mean, when we talk about it's brand new, it's so brand new and it's accelerating so quickly. Um, And it's happening as, as this type stuff does. And I've got writer friends and I've had similar conversations with them offline about, you know, chat GBT. And, you know, um, I've been fooling around with chat GBT for like, descriptions when I'm running role-playing games because yeah. having chat GBT right there and like, you know, my player goes, well, I'm going to go into the library. I'm like, Oh shit, I wasn't ready for you to go into the library. I'm not yeah. quite sure what it is. I can go, you know, I can type in a few seconds. I can type into chat GBT, describe for me a library in a convent and then Absolutely. Beep, 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 you know, so um, I, I, it's very fair to say, Hey, Craig, I'm still forming that opinion, but, uh, your thoughts about digital artists, uh, digital artists versus traditional artists versus, you know, AI artist, I think is fascinating. So, um, Claire, whenever I have guests on, the last thing I like to do is I'm always interested about what do creatives consume, right? So you create art. Um, and I'd be curious to know, what do you love to not create? What do you love to sit back and consume? So is there any TV shows, music, books, or anything, video games recently that have captured you and you have not been able to step away from it? Um, uh, Is there anything recently that you have just fallen in love with uh, that we can talk about? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I I, I need my time to practice. I'm serious. That's great. I, I, I don't do that anymore. I used to, but yeah. it has taken way too much of my time and realizing of this, you know, growing industry and growing yeah. world. Um, I understand the advantages of AI art, you know, going back to your point. It's actually, you know, I can see a lot of advantages and good things that can come from AI art. I can see like both uh, plus and minuses because it enables people who cannot create to create basically like uh like example for you you would call yourself a terrible quote unquote terrible artist but you can you know just make a idea just like that you know and it's quite amazing and if you ask me i actually do plan to learn ai one day one day one day you know it's not a rush to be honest because i feel comfortable knowing what i know and learning the absolute basics will help me it's like it's like if you know if i wasn't a digital artist i was a regular painter and i'd learn photoshop it will just speed up my process and you know it shouldn't be time consuming the the ones that are time consuming should be the ones that matter it's just Mm -hmm. uh artists shouldn't fear fear ai art because yeah, it's not going to stop. You're not going to change it. And just by fearing it, you know, you're just yeah. going to put pressure on your daily life, you know, so you, you just have to go with the flow. <laughs> so, Claire, there's a couple things that I want to provide the audience. One, um, uh, you and I will uh, connect and I'm going to show links to your work. So you sent me links to your work and it, and it immediately 
I, I just looked at your work and I said, I need to talk to this person. I need to understand how you make something so incredible because it's it's really impressive. So those of you listening, I want you to follow some of these links that we're going to have uh, on the show. And I think you'll agree with my um, uh, assessment. But Claire, what's going to end up happening, uh, because there's a lot of creators that listen to my show, what's potentially going to happen is some creators are going to click on those links and say, you know, I may want to talk to this person. So if there's anybody interested in commissioning you either for their own private games, maybe to do character uh, concept art for their RPG character or, you know, art for a board game for a Kickstarter, where should they go? How should they get in touch with you? Uh, I have my email in my portfolio, so email or discord. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And we'll just have links to all of that down below. Right. Um, yeah. and, th- and they can just reach out and get in touch with you. Yeah, basically. Okay. That's exciting. Clara, I had a ton of fun talking to you and I really appreciate, uh, you making the time, especially considering that you're so far in the future. Yeah, I know. I know. I'll tell you the lottery secret. <laughs> we're not going to do that on the podcast, though. We're going to do that later. I don't, I'm oh, the only yeah, one that right, gets the right, winning right. numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this was fantastic. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, you made it to the end. You listened to this whole thing. And I appreciate you doing that, too. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floorheads You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care.